Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I am not Jay and Ellie. I'm Brian Dawes. And if I wanted a planeswalker to be printed four times in one set, it would be Nahiri, so I could see her put Soren back in that rock. Four times. Four times. <laughs> oh, I'm next. I'm Ashley Barrow, and if I had to pick a planeswalker to see four times in a set, I uh, I think my answer is actually pretty obvious. I think you already know that I am going to say Ramaz. Please. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we get for not having Jay and Laura Lyon. Yep. I am Carrie Thomas, and if I could have four different versions of a planeswalker in a single set, it'd be Commodore Guff. <laughs> You realize with uh, Jay and Laura like on, basically mom and dad are out. Yeah, the rents are out, and now we just uh, get to say whatever. Yeah, we can make <laughs> this episode be about <laughs> whatever we want it to be about. But we will not do that just yet. Um, there is no news for this week. Chapter 3 of The Gathering Storm has come out this week, along with, I believe, Chapter 6 of the web fiction that goes along with War of the Spark. But for now, we are going to be focusing on our mailbag, and then we will hop into covering the first three chapters of The Gathering Storm. So the first question in our mailbag, it is from Mark Gatesman, and it is, How many confirmed Old Walkers are still around post-mending? It always feels like a high proportion to me. Also, are there any we know of besides Jaya who don't have magic stuff keeping age from being an issue? Um, for example, Liliana's contract, Obnix, Lissa's demonhood, etc. So. Yes. So we know of Bolus, Azor technically, Jaya, Karn, Liliana, Nahiri, Obnixilis, Sorn, Markov, Teferi, Ugin, and Vincer. <laughs> Wait, that last one's not right. Carrie! <laughs> so I think you can group them into pretty distinctly like three groups of has an actual reason to be alive post mending, and it's kind of like okay you have Soren there because he's a vampire and not gonna age so that's how it's going to be and then you have the weird humanoids that nobody wants to question how long they'll live until and that's Bolas Ugin Azor Karn is in there too yeah where it's like you don't expect them to age and nobody's keeping track of it then you have the people who were afk you have nahiri <laughs> and ugin who were just kind of like trapped away but everybody else is just kind of you know they're just old they're just old yeah and i think it's difficult to introduce so many um, pre-mending planeswalker characters post-mending for that reason is you have to like either make them inhuman or non non-human or non-humanoid and be like okay they just live that long or give them an actual reason for what they've been doing for the past six years which is a little annoying as for the proportion i think we have like a pretty decent mix like i'm actually really surprised that this is our only elf planeswalker because any other elves that would like elves no matter what plane you're from generally have much longer lifespans than most of the humanoids that we have access to as planeswalkers currently and they all would be able to be older than the mending so i'm really surprised that this is the only elf that we have that isn't pre that isn't um 
that that's a planeswalker and isn't pre-mending like it's kind yeah. of and i shocking. think she could have easily been i think they just topped out her age at the mending for unknown reasons like i don't think her being 60 versus her being 80 was exactly like a huge difference yeah yeah but you know it would be really cool if Eladomri we didn't actually see him die we just know that he jumped off that tree what if he was a planeswalker <laughs> that'd be pretty sweet right 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 spark ignited just been going at it since yep ah oh, man come on Ethan give it to me give it to me <laughs> I'm sure we'll get a, another elf planeswalker eventually like I'm not I'm not in any doubt of that I think there's enough um humanoid races that have been explored that you can give two vampire planeswalkers or two elf planeswalkers for those major smaller races our next question is time travel canonically exists right is that especially hard to achieve post-mending can tefiri just marty mcfly his way to preventing war the phyrexians and other major tragedies in mtg history if he can why doesn't he and that is from p kinter 13 so this is a little bit of a Oof. sticky issue. Yeah, it's, is that Tefiri doesn't really like ever in fiction go back in time, as far as I'm aware. No, he doesn't like go back five minutes to undo something, because I th- think even in like the early two thousands when invasion and stuff was going on, people knew who how risky that kind of storytelling was um and while they were doing wacky stuff like guff bringing time travel into the mix isn't fun um i think there's been a lot of time manipulation and i think that's a perfectly valid like he does that a lot in the war with the spark novel but we don't really do time travel stories outside of um kind of the two cases being urza's experiments on talaria and Cons of Tarkir slash Dragons of Tarkir. And I also think that also goes into how Teferi uses his time match against other people. Like, the major time match that he uses in war is saying that technically those guys never existed any, anyway is on the car time wipe. I can't remember the exact flavor text. But basically, we know that in magic, the only thing that survives taking a trip back in time is silver so hypothetically what teferi could be doing is sending people back knowing that it's going to kill them so we know that'd be mean yeah like <laughs> or maybe we it's like a, like in elder scrolls um he's sending them forward in time and then they're all just gonna show up one day and they're gonna have to deal with that that'd be pretty funny <laughs> but yeah it's it's really weird and we don't we don't know the metaphysics of how ugin did what he did and realistically, I'm willing to bet that all of the really high-level types of magic that would send people back in time require pre-mending ki- kinds of planeswalker power that they don't have access to anymore. So Ugin's spirit being able to possess Sarkin might be a, a portion of that magic that he no longer has access to. Yeah, and I think that's the big thing is like walking through a pre-mending planeswalker's kind of magical still magical body is believable enough as a time travel plot we're not looking for like some kind of warp gate we're just looking for something and i feel like pre-mending planeswalker power 
some of that being retained in the body enough to jump Sarkin back a few centuries, a few millennia, was worth it. Yeah. But it's definitely not something that should be repeated because no <laughs> time measure, time travel is always a sticky subject. So we should just leave it where it lies and not try to bring it back anymore. I uh, personally uh, hate it with a passion. Our next question is for the members of the Vorthos cast that did not know how the world story would pan out. Hey, that's us. Yeah, exactly. Perfect question. How does it feel to know two key moments from the end of the story depicted in our preview cards without knowing what happens in the lead up to that? And that was David Asma in our Discord. That is an excellent question. Um... It was interesting. I don't think any of us, so none of us knew about the God Eternals. When we saw our so, preview card, we knew, we had an idea, but we weren't 100% certain that's what was happening. Yeah, because we understood that Liliana was whispering to two God Eternals to betray Volos. Um, so the God Eternals were the first real shock. Did you guys have anything else? It wasn't really shocking for me because that was like the part of the story that I cared least about. Like, okay, well, obvious, obviously, obviously it's going to end in some sort of way. I was very hopeful that Bolas was going to be killed, and I understand both the in-fiction and out-of-fiction reasons for trapping him in the plane, but I also... You wanted violence. You wanted blood. I wanted blood. I think we've gotten our mileage out of Nico Bolas, personally, and it's been 10 years since he was brought back. I think it's time to decisively kill him like they did Yawgmoth and move on to another villain or other villains like anything but so that was my my initial reaction was like a little bit of a letdown for that I had no idea that Gideon would die I think if we would have gotten Gideon dying as a preview card I would have been well I would have been like throw my microphone down like how dare you that would have been yeah. that would have been really insulting <laughs> I think that would have been cruel yeah, I don't think we could have guessed, even at that point when we had seen our preview card and were recording the preview episode, we didn't know a lot of the story beats. We didn't know that Eternals would absorb sparks and pop and put those into the Elder spell. We also didn't know what the Elder spell was. Well, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. But Gideon was the character that we all voted for most likely to die. But I think we voted for him because we were also cynical that we're like, who would be like the worst who deserves to die the least? It's going to be that person, and we were right. It's going to be the mono-white heroic planeswalker sacrificing themselves. Yeah, I'm looking back at the message history when Lorelai sent me the card images, and like I, I knew, like I actively said, "Give me my legendary zombie gods," because <laughs> <laughs> like the D Spark card, obviously mentions Bantu and Oketra so we knew that going in and we oh, um, yeah, knew I, I remember now I guessed correctly because I misunderstood and I thought that was like a known thing <laughs> and I was right that's not even the first time that I've misunderstood something thinking it's like a known fact but in reality I just made it up like I just it was I just made that up completely but then it ended up being right and that's why I feel like I have powers <laughs> I don't think a lot of us could have guessed the rest of the story that happened in between where we knew things picked up from like the art book 
and where we knew things would leave off with the meditation realm. I don't think any of us could have even guessed the justification for putting him in the meditation realm. We just had our preview cards and we're happy with them. So. Yeah. I didn't even question why. I was just like, I <laughs> okay, I bet. Yeah, because you either think he's going to die or get trapped. So it had to be one of those two options. <laughs> so the next question we have is from Chris RG19 in our Discord, and it is, how do you feel magic compares to other IPs in terms of complexity of lore? Thinking Elder Scrolls and Dragon Age and Zelda. I love this question. I, um, <laughs> okay, so it's, okay, that's kind of, you can't exactly say more or less complex because something like Dragon Age is focused on like one specific group of characters which is where magic is now, but it has not always been the case. And also, these take place on only one world. So, ignoring the fact that magic has multiple worlds, um, Elder Scrolls lore is complicated for the purpose of being complicated on a, how much each particular world lore has. Uh, Elder Scrolls is significantly more complicated. Significantly. And I, I mean that as a bad thing. <laughs> I also feel like it's more intertwined. Like, I feel like there's more referential stuff going on in Elder Scrolls games than there is in, like, any given set of magic or any given world of magic, even. There's a, there's also just a lot of lore that exists for no reason. Like, in magic, you need to have lore to explain some specific card. Okay, so there's a reason for that. In Elder Scrolls, there's just stuff that exists because it's cool. Brian, any thoughts? So I'm not super familiar with the IPs chosen here, but I do, like, before I really got into, like, during my break from Magic in college, I was playing a lot of World of Warcraft, so I do know a significant amount of their lore pre-Legion, I guess. So, and I, I have all of the older books, like Arthas's Fall, to being the... Um, Lich King and whatnot. I, I really think that Magic's lore is a lot more confusing because of it doesn't feel as curated as Blizzard's lore um, has been for World of Warcraft or Warcraft in general. So I think there are times where it feels like there, especially old Magic stuff. And, I mean, a lot of that comes with the fact that Magic is a much older game and things aren't as technically advanced as they were when Blizzard started doing things, even though Blizzard wasn't that much younger than WotC was when they started doing the Magic stories. But how they did it was very different. And I feel like WotC is making strides to try to do some of this better, but I still feel like Blizzard's approach to their lore is a lot more... It's a lot easier to digest and catalog than um, Wizards' is. I will also say that uh, Dragon Age is probably my happy medium for lore complexity. Uh, the story only tells you as much as you need to know, and there's like the uh, codex entries you can read. They give you just like little snippets of information, and it's very simple so you know about this thing to explain something in the story. But if you don't read it, which I'm sure most people don't, the story still makes sense. You only know about like the stuff like I said, that's relevant to the story. Elder Scrolls, I don't, as much as I love it, I, I think has, does not succeed in that. 
So, like, as far as complexity, I like Dragon Age a lot more than Magic. I think they don't... They, you, okay, if you know me, you know that I think Dragon Age has... I was going to say has good writing, but that's... I don't think that. <laughs> has good lore and bad writing. But good lore. So that's my happy medium. When it comes to Magic in comparison to other games, it is more spread out, less condensed of actual relevant story, and the quality of the relevant story isn't always as great as other franchises tend to be. Yeah, well, we're not saying that we hate magic writing, because obviously we do a podcast about it, but there's a lot of just random fluff that comes from the fact that there are just random fluff on cards, because that's how it works. Uh, but I think that that, ha- but it makes it hard to have a solid understanding of the lore or explain it to people because you're like, well, there's this, and then there's this other unrelated thing, and this other unrelated thing, this other unrelated thing. Uh, it's been better about that in the past few years with having the Gatewatch recurring characters, and I don't think you need to have recurring characters to have solid, consolidated lore, but I think it helps. That's one reason why Elder Scrolls games are so random and have so much randomness is that it's not the same character in each game. In Dragon Age, it's not the same character, but there's like it's the same, the same area, and there are recurring characters to sort of tie it together. So you learn about it through them, and that makes it really easy to understand. And Magic's getting better about that with the Gatewatch. Another thing that I want to add is that I think that War of the Spark and the newsletter stories have done a really good job of fixing this issue, which is Ravnica's issue and that it has a whole bunch of lore that has absolutely nothing to do with each other and that if you decided they were on different worlds, they could be. I am really liking how uh, actually cohesive it feels now. Don't get me wrong, I love Ravnica, but it is very random. Now it feels kind of like it actually exists in the same universe, much less the same world, if that makes sense. Hi. So let us hop into our magic story coverage, which is The Gathering Storm chapters 1 through 3. So in chapter 1, we kick off with Ralzarek heading to a meeting with Tezzeret. Um, At the same time, events are happening elsewhere. But Ral ends up meeting Tezzeret, and Bolas is making Ral yet another offer, it seems. Knowing that Ral will decline and Tezzeret gets into a little scuffle with him, at the end of this, Tezzeret flees, and Ral realizes that this whole thing has been a diversion. Whatever Bolas set Tezzeret up to was trying to distract him from his responsibilities at Nivix. And so we cut to Nivix, where a Bolas puppeteer Demir agent is breaking into um, that little citadel. So the agent's mission is specifically to implant a thought. So the Demir agent, being controlled by Bolas, sneaks in, puts the thought into his head, tries to sneak out, and then Bolas mind crushes her and just leaves her in a trap that ends up awakening Niv. So by the time that Ral has realized the diversion, he's headed back to Nivix. He meets up with Niv. Niv reveals that he knows about Planeswalkers. They discuss what little Ralzarek actually has to offer to know about Bolas. And in the end, Niv explains his plan, which is to become the Living Guild Pact. And that is through his project that he has been developing. 
But Niv's backup plan that he reveals to Ral is that he has a planar beacon set that will lure planeswalkers to Ravnica. But until that backup plan needs to happen, Niv assigns Ral the task of going around to the guilds and actually recruiting everybody in the guild leadership positions to some kind of summit where they can actually all agree that they need to get away from Jace the Living Guild Pact and go towards Niv Mizzet the Living Guild Pact. Because everybody hates Jace. And he's just done a bad job all around. Turns out he wasn't really on Ravnica when he was supposed to be. Which is a pity because after all of the development that Jace went through on Ixalan, where he learns that he needs to take responsibility for his job. <laughs> he just gets fired. Yeah. Which... Is deserved, but... But they have stability in Niv in the end. In chapter 2, we kick off with Gerard having sealed himself away in a room. He is the current guild leader of the Golgari, and he is living a opulent life inside of this throne room. But that is quickly interrupted by Varaska, who is busting through with her little crowd of insects, and she comes through his front door and challenges him essentially. But she knows in advance that Bolas has arranged for the Golgari to be loyal to her rather than to Gerard. After some fighting, she has to test that truthfulness to see if the guards actually stand down. They do end up standing down. Gerard tries to like bounce back as if he and his elves are going to be able to put up a fight against the Golgari, but then Vreska reminds him that all of the people that she has rebelling against him are people who are serving the elves, so they're kind of in control of their safety. So Gerard starts playing with Vreska. Um, Vreska has Zedek extract all the relevant info from Gerard's mind, and then she turns him to stone, and she is now in the leadership position of the Golgari. It's actually pretty anticlimactic because she's just like, I'm here to take your throne. And he's like, no, you're not. Oh, okay, I guess you are. And then that's that. It was a little anticlimactic, but you got to the point. Yeah. Like, I, I guess my biggest thing is Gerard came off as a lot, a lot softer than I remember him being in the Ravnico novels. Um, yeah. May, he kind of sucked Yeah, in maybe, this. like time in the lap of luxury may have softened him a little bit like he he you would expect some more of a fight yes definitely <laughs> yeah he literally just quits he's like okay yeah well, like touche he was willing to go into rack into rick's Mati and deal with rakdos and exava in their own turf he gets killed doing it to save his son but it's just like he goes from that to this aristocrat of the worst order and it, it doesn't sit well with me i, I mean it, it's been 60 years and he's a much he was alive much longer than that before he died and came back in the lich so and he 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 was a fighter like he wasn't just some weird wizard like he he knew how to handle himself in difficult situations so like, I, I was kind of put off by that. The rest of the story has been great, but that part didn't really sit well with me. Yeah, I understand that. It's a little bit of bluff, bluff, and then quit as quickly as you can. Yeah. And it doesn't even save him in the end. Um, but in the second half of the story, we get Kaya breaking into Orzova. She is on a mission to essentially place Tesa in leadership of the Orzhov. 
She makes it to Tasa's jail cell, kills the spirit guard keeper, and gets inside to talk with Tomek and Tasa. Pretty much does a rundown of the fact that her and Tasa have the same master in Bolas. What ultimately happens is that Kaya explains that she is there to get rid of the Abzadot. Tasa reveals that if the Abzadot are killed while she's freed, then everybody's going to suspect her of murder, and they will not let her lead the Orzhov. So, the agreed-upon plan is to leave Tasa in jail, play this whole thing off as if it was an assassination attempt on Tasa that ended up killing the spirit guard, and then have Kaya kill the Absidot entirely while Tasa is imprisoned. And so then the Orzhov will have no other choice but to place Tasa in leadership. And with that, Kaya phases through the wall and escapes. Everything goes off as planned. I love her in this. Yeah. Yeah. Like, she, her personality's funny, but also I love that her power is just no clipping through the walls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that is uh, very uh, relatable. That's also my power. I-, I really loved her, the way they characterized her, and... Her power suit is sweet. It reminds me of Mirio from um, By Hero Academia. So that, that that's a plus. But it, it's Django is killing it. And I'm, I'm loving it so far. Yeah. I especially appreciated the explanation of the same powers that allow her to become incorporeal to the physical world. Make her very physical in the spirit world. Mm-hmm. So that they just don't know that she can kill them <laughs> yeah which which i don't think we've had before at any level so it's really it's really satisfying to get that explanation and be like okay well she is like changing states into something that can actually kill ghosts Django's description of the metaphysics around all of the planeswalkers he's explained has been really great and i've, I've definitely appreciated that yeah. there's a lot of exposition in these stories i mean they're pretty much all exposition but i think the good kind where it's like showing you through what happens, here's how it works. I like that. Um, into chapter three, we have Rel, who is visiting New Prov, the Azorius guild home, to try to begin to enact um, Niv's grand plan, which is to unite all of the guilds and their guild leaders, respectively, to end up agreeing upon reassigning the guild pack to himself. Raul gets a little bit stalled at the beginning of this story, but he does end up meeting with Aurelia and Isperia. He gives them a quick briefing on Planeswalkers, and Dovin Bon is there to chime in, I suppose. I think he, from what we know of Dovin's um, motivations on the plane, he is downplaying a lot of his involvement with Bolas. Very much so. Yeah. Specifically saying, oh, I've only interacted with his agents on a tangential basis on Kaladesh. But there is no reason for Bond to even bother with Ravnica or bother being in Isperia's guard without having that Bolas motivation behind him. We do get a little choice moment where Ral snaps him a look over knowing who Jace Buller is. Yeah. Because he was on Kaladesh. I'm very surprised that no one was no one asked any more questions of Dovin, especially with his interactions. Knowing about Jace, I, I guess we didn't really get that far. Maybe that's something that'll happen in the next story. So, like, 
someone needs to roll a much higher insight check on that because yeah and if Ral, <laughs> yeah if Ral has any idea what tezzeret is doing for bolas then he might know about kaladesh and specifically what happened there and why tezzeret was the pawn that dovin interacted with going on in the story aurelia and isperia don't really believe the scale of the threat that bolas poses Rel also doesn't have the context of knowing what the plan is, like the Gatewatch and Jace did at this point, so it's difficult to have any actual sense of urgency that he can escalate to the guild leaders. So in the end, Aurelia and Isperia agree to, tentatively, the plan to reassign the guild pack title to Niv-Mizzet, and in Niv-Mizzet's absence, Rel Zarek would end up taking over the guild, but... He also has some of the most unruly guilds to try to wrangle up in the meantime, so he moves on to do that. When he leaves the Senate, he is approached in secret by Lavinia, who is also aware of the threat that Bolas poses, but understands that there are active Bolas pawns within many, many of the guilds. And so she has a simple request to ask of Ralzeric, which is try to create or provide a list of who these bolas pawns are and how they're interacting with the guilds and for context she's also one of the other uh planebound people who knows about planeswalkers it's difficult for ralzeric to necessarily create that list since he is in second degree association with bolas now that he has interacted with tezzeret and as we find out later in the story directly interacted with bolas himself but ral says he will keep tabs on it um, Rao returns to his apartment, where he meets with Tomek. They have a little dinner. story said gay rights. The story did say gay rights. And they go to sleep. In the sleep scene, Rao Zarek does have a dream, and it is a flashback to earlier in his life, when specifically he was employed as a servant to a count. The story teaches us that he became pretty disillusioned to serving the rich, um, after the Count's son ends up picking on him, pretty much just trying to start a fight and... And rob him. <laughs> yeah, gut-punching him. And sometime after he is gut-punched, a stranger comes to him and offers him employment in services that would, quote, perform tasks that are counter to the interests of the highest echelons of society. And so, Ral, fresh off getting beaten by this Count's son, seems to accept that offer, the issue is that offer is at the hands of Nicol Bolas, and scene. I feel like you could have eased, um, there's easier ways to be counterculture on Raunica. There's an entire guild for it. Rather than allying with Bolas. I mean, just walk outside, just walk outside, God, everybody well, I mean, is fighting. in fairness, <laughs> he didn't know who Bolas was, so I'll give him a pass on that, but... Just think there are a lot, it's a lot easier ways to find comrades on Ravnica. And I think this is strange a bit because, one, we see Nicol Bolas in a humanoid form. So he's shape-shifting or illusioning. His Gajinka. He's copying Chromium. How many non-humanoid characters are going to get canon Gajinkas? Because <laughs> we already have the Eldrazi and Emrakul literally appears as her Gajinka. I think it's also interesting that Bolas was operating pretty directly on Ravnica at the time of, well, at the time prior to Ral's ignition. So whether he had decided on Ravnica as setting the stage for that already, 
but at this point, Rao isn't really involved in the is it at all. So unless he can sense Planeswalker Sparks or latent Planeswalker Sparks, why did he pick Rao? And what were his motivations there? I'm sure we'll find out in future stories, obviously. Any other thoughts? Sorry, I had to take a, a chance to uh, tell the chat. Uh, we're discussing if if Bolas is... I was wrong in calling him a furry. Uh, if he is a scaly or a fleshy... And I do not like the term fleshy that we have created. Oh, I do not like fleshy either. Uh, but I, I guess he would be uh, fleshy. That is all we have for Jesus. this week. Um, final thoughts, Brian? Let's end on that horrible cursed yeah. thought. My final thought is that the um, Harry Potter Wizards Unite game came out today in the U.S. And I've wasted a sufficient amount of time playing this game. <laughs> and this was a bad idea to install this because... I have more things trying to compete for my time now, so this is going to be super bad for me. But maybe it'll get me out walking some more. I guess that's a good trend. It's healthy. I had an idea for a um, Skyrim, one of those ones, but you don't need to install the app, and you just walk outside. <laughs> uh, I guess my final thought can also be, speaking of games that are coming out today, um, the new, more importantly, the new Sims expansion comes out tonight at midnight. I have been waiting, because uh, they already have it in Australia, so I hate you guys. <laughs> and they have mermaids, and you can go in the water and actually swim. And I'm going to make Kiora, <laughs> and Lorelai's not here for me to tell that to. My final thought is I've really been enjoying the Gathering Storm stories. Um, I've enjoyed them more than novel and the web fiction and i can't wait to get 17 more chapters of these there are 20 chapters in total i'm actually like i i obviously along with many others wish this had come prior to war of the spark but i think this is a perfectly fine way to end the story and it is just a very good story if you want to subscribe to us on patreon you can do that at patreon.com slash thevorthoscast. If you subscribe to us on Patreon, you can get access to our Discord server where we post dog pictures and discuss uh, the games that are coming out today, apparently, and uh, fleshies. And you can also get access to a secret episode, Pull from the Deep, where we discuss random topics. And um, also, you get to have our firstborn, except for Arjun, because he's already born. And you get powers. Whoa, whoa, hold up. No firstborn given away here. Also, you are able to, if at the right tier, you can be a part of our live listen chat that is able to listen to us while we record at around 7 to 7.30 p.m. to around 8 to 8.30 p.m. on Thursday nights, Eastern Time. And um, you can help give me my final thoughts on occasion because I'm notoriously bad for not having a final thought when it's time for that. So, um, yeah, live listens a lot of fun. We have a lot of questions come from there and a lot of input about things that we're discussing that can also sometimes um, influence our answers to different things. So I will formally fun. rescind we have a lot the Forceborn so offer and the Flesh Sona offer. I think we'll ban both of those from the Discord. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast.